Chapter 22 of Policy and Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Policy and Passion by Rosa Campbell Prade. Chapter 22 The Worship of Shakespeare. That evening, Barrington said to Mrs. Ferris, I had a disagreeable encounter this morning with a man called Deans. He made some insulting remarks when I was sitting by the creek with Angela, and I gave him a severe kicking for his impudence. Do you know anything about the fellow? Don't I, then, cried Mrs. Ferris grimly, folding her arms. He is just the ruin of my old man, and I am sorry indeed to hear that he is about again. He sneaks up at night and reads Shakespeare with my husband, and encourages him to drink toddy while I am well nigh inclined to kick him off the premises myself. I have no patience with Anthony. But as you may have discovered by this time, Mr. Barrington, Mr. Ferris is not a man that will be dictated to by his wife. I am surprised that Mr. Ferris should countenance the visits of a cattle-stealer, said Barrington. Oh, as to that, when Anthony takes a notion into his head, there's no getting rid of it, especially if it has anything to do with art. You might as well try to pick out with your fingers a tick that has been burrowing in your flesh for a week. When Sammy was convicted, my old man and Mr. Longleat had words about the matter, and I never could rightly make out why Longleat caved in. That he did, is certain. There's things we women don't understand, and the friendship between my husband and Sammy Deans is one of them. I'll bet you what you like, Mr. Barrington, that they are bawling out Macbeth or Ophelia in the office at this very moment. I'd Ophelia him if I had the chance, old sinner that he is. Mrs. Ferris was shrewd in her conjectures. Surely there is no Freemasonry so potent as that which binds the joint worshippers of Shakespeare and Bacchus. Anthony Ferris and Sammy Deans, seated in the office with a bottle of whiskey between them and a volume of the immortal bard lying open on the table before them, were waxing both enthusiastic and confidential. Let me not live, after my flame lacks oil to be the snuff of younger spirits, whose apprehensive senses all but new things disdain, quoted Mr. Ferris, his eye rolling in fine frenzy, his shriveled form expanding with an intellectual enjoyment that was figuratively and materially allied to intoxication. That's a fine passage. Lord, Lord, what it is to be getting old. There's a strange habitude creeping over me. My nerves are dull, my faculties less firmly strung. Nothing fires me as it used. That Timor Mortis, how terrible it is. A little more toddy, Sam. Here's to your liberty once more. We have had a rare treat this evening. I have always said that there was not a man in Australia who knew or loved his Shakespeare better than you. Come, we won't begin another play, but let us have a canto or two of Don Juan, something to heat the old blood and stir the flabby pulses. There's no poet like Byron for making an old man feel the passions of youth. He rose and selected a worn volume from the shelf above his head, where Rabelais and Stern, Paul de Kock and Boccaccio rested side by side with classic authors, and tomes upon ancient and modern art, the companions of his solitary hours. They read on for some time longer, till Mr. Ferris had induced that condition which can only be compared to the paradise of the opium-eater. Sammy Deans, as fervent an admirer of impassioned verse as his more cultivated patron, read and smoked by turns, 
a leer of enjoyment animating his pallid face. When the book was thrown aside, there was a further recourse to the whiskey bottle. Deans drank sparingly, though he sedulously plied the old man's glass till Mr. Ferris evinced a remarkable anxiety to express himself clearly and a tendency to conviviality. Then Sammy Deans led him gradually on to discuss the Koorong gossip, Miss Longleat's love affairs, the chances of the ministry, and thence drawing forth venomous allusions to the premier. Presently he made a feint of departure. "'Sit down, sit down,' cried Mr. Ferris. "'The night is young yet.' "'It has been a pleasant evening, Mr. Ferris,' said Sam, reseating himself, as it were, under protest. "'I appreciate it all the more.' "'because I hate been in over fine company of late. "'God, I owe someone a long score "'for all those nights and days in Kuya jail. "'I am thinking, Mr. Ferris, "'that we had best say good-bye "'and let Shakespeare go to the devil, "'for when Longleat comes to know of me "'hanging about the station o' nights, "'they'll be the blank of a wigging for you.' "'Poo, poo,' said Mr. Ferris. "'You need not be under any apprehension, my Sammy. "'Longleat knows the length of his tether.' "'The length of his tether,' repeated Sam. "'You have said the same sort of thing before, Mr. Ferris, "'but I've always thought that you must be joking. "'It's the premier that is boss, not you, "'and I shouldn't have thought that Longleat "'was the man to stand any humbug from his storekeeper.' "'Yah!' snarled Ferris. "'I'm his storekeeper, his servant, "'a creature fit only to be browbeaten and sneered at. "'I'm the dirt under his daughter's feet.' I'm a poor devil without any spirit, that is true enough. But for all that, I am Longleat's master, and he knows it. One would think, said Deans in an insinuating tone, that you'd got a secret about the premier, that he was afraid of your telling, and that he gives you a good salary to keep your tongue quiet. That's the ticket, eh, Mr. Ferris? Mr. Ferris leaned back in his chair and chuckled, but did not reply. "'Sam cautiously replenished his patron's glass. "'All the same,' continued Sam, "'whatever your hold may be, if you've got one at all, "'which I have my reasons perhaps for doubting, "'I ain't a-goin' on spending my evenings here "'unless I know for certain that I needn't be afraid of a blow-up.' "'Look here,' said Mr. Ferris, "'laying his lean hand upon Dean's arm. "'Do you see that iron safe yonder? "'There's no one got the key to that safe but me.' "'And what do you think are piled up inside it, Sammy Deans?' "'Why, manuscripts, my boy, poems, plays, the Lord knows what. "'A hundred years hence, this old withered body will be a pinch of dust, "'but this,' touching his head, will be immortal. "'A second Shakespeare, Sammy Deans.' "'I dare say. Happen it may be so, Mr. Ferris,' said Sammy. "'I always thought you were a remarkable man, sir.' "'It's genius that tells in the long run. "'But this is not all you've got in the safe, is it, Mr. Ferris?' "'There is something else in the safe. "'You are right, Sammy. "'There's a heap of old newspapers, and they tell a tale. "'By the Lord, if Middleton had got hold of those papers, "'Longleat would not be many days premier of Leckhart's land. "'But you needn't think that I'm going to let you have sight of them. "'I can see your delicate aim, Mr. Deans.' but I'm not such an ass as to take the bread and butter out of my mouth for the sake of gratifying your revenge. It seems to me, Mr. Ferris, said Sammy, that if you had got such a hold as this over Longleat, 
you might have hindered him from prosecuting me without its costing you much. Sam, have you ever read that if a fool knows a secret he tells it because he is a fool? If a knave knows one, he tells it whenever it is his interest to do so. It wasn't my interest to tell my secret for you. Happen it weren't, Mr. Ferris, said Sam doggedly and relapsing, as was his wont in moments of inward excitement, into the northern vernacular of his youth. Happen it were. You're a father, Mr. Ferris, and Longleat is a father, and I were one too before I were sent to that D. blank D. jail. Lord! I knows the raw spot that touches up a man or woman to the quick. T'were only yesterday that I were standing by my little Joey's grave, and I says to myself, Who has murdered the little chap, but them as sent his father to jail? And happen he'd a died just the same, I'll never forgive them as held me back from kissing the little chap's face afore he went for his long journey. And he were a-crying for me, Margaret said so. "'But that has not to do with you, Mr. Ferris. "'I've only said that happen it might have been for your interest "'to have kept Longleat from prosecuting me.' "'Well, well,' said Mr. Ferris soothingly, "'I'm very sorry for your trouble, Deans, "'but the little boy's death could not have been helped, you know. "'I had my own daughter to think of. "'I've got to take her to Italy "'to make her genius shine before the world.' "'It is all for her sake that I am eating humble pie "'and pocketing Longleat's money.' It is not for my own. Ay, ay, said Sam, after a pause during which he had put a curb upon his emotion. You love your daughter, Mr. Ferris. You'd be wild if there happened any harm to her. And Longleat, he's fond of his eldest one. A proud minx she is. Happen her father's heart'll ache for her some day. It's a queer thing is hating, pursued Sam reflectively. It takes you unawares like, just as does a pretty woman's face, only different. There's a chap here now, a tall soldier sort of fellow, that was dangling after your daughter at the creek today. Here Sam paused and looked cunningly at his companion. Ah, yes, replied Mr. Ferris, an Englishman doing colonial experience at Lord Dolph Bassett's. Much he will learn there. An ex-guardsman, not the stuff to make a stock rider. He has some idea of art, has Barrington. And the worst that I know of him is that he is madly in love with Miss Longleat. I'd as life punch his head as not, said Sam. And you let your daughter go wandering with him by the creek, eh? And he has ideas upon art. In love with Miss Longleat, is he? I think I'll say good night, Mr. Ferris. I'm much obliged to you for an entertaining evening. We'll see about repeating it by and by. I'm thinking of going down to Leichardt's Town for a day or two, but I'll see you again before long. End of chapter 22 Read by Celine Major.